Hello, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show celebrating the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. We have something a little bit different today, The Lost Tribe of the Sith Collected Stories, a series of eight short stories and one final novella. Together, the nine stories combine to tell the story of a group of Sith and humans from the ancient hyperspace war that are marooned on an unknown planet. They quickly take over the world and rule over the natives, all while they're waiting to be rescued. But before we get into the book, let's talk about the upcoming schedule. If you follow the show on Twitter, you can see what books I'll be talking about through early October. And I need to say thank you to my niece, Olivia, who helped pick them out. I picked out five. Olivia picked out five. Uh, She doesn't really listen to the show, but I hope to play this opening for her in the near future. Thank you, Olivia. No emails or Twitter messages this week, but if you want to contact me, you can email swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Ask a question or leave a comment. Legends, canon, books, shows, movies, whatever. I've never been into comic books or video games much, so maybe you all can educate me on those. Anyway, it's always fun to chat. Now, it's time to talk about today's book, Lost Tribe of the Sith, The Collected Stories, by John Jackson Miller. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. This week's book's a little different, so I'm going to talk about it a little differently than the others. Before I go into what happens, how about a little backstory? The Lost Tribe of the Sith is a small group of Sith slaves from Nagasato's empire during the Great Hyperspace War with the Republic in the year 5000 BBY. They consist of humans and the red-skinned Sith species. They were members of the Omen, a mining ship in Nagasato's armada, part of his invasion force. The story collection is a prequel of the Legends series of books, Fate of the Jedi, that takes place in 43 ABY when Luke Skywalker and his son Ben and Jaina Solo discover the hidden Sith group as they try to expand throughout the galaxy. Now, the first eight stories of the book were released online in ebook form from 2009 to 2012. And then the final novella was included in this collection when it was published in July 2012. The stories span over 2,000 years and then continue on in a comic series that to this point I have not read. So let's get into the book and I'm going to give you the very abridged version to keep from spoiling things too much, especially the eight short stories which are really just three or four scenes each. The first story is called Precipice. It begins with the Omen crash landing on a mountaintop on Kesh, an unknown planet that has a very powerful magnetic field that makes off-world communications almost impossible. Now, many of the passengers and crew are killed in the crash, but 355 survive. The Omen was carrying lignin crystals for Nagasato. These crystals are attuned to the dark side of the Force, and were used to make powerful lightsabers. Omen's captain is a human named Yaru Corson, 
who tries to organize the survivors. His brother Devor and his brother's wife Sela and their infant son help Corson and distribute rations. Most of the survivors are human, but nearly a hundred of the purebred Sith survive too. The survivors start fighting almost immediately, including Corson and his brother. The two race each other back up the mountain to the Omen to try to contact anyone from Nagasato's fleet, but nothing on the ship works. Corson orders his brother back to camp, but Devor attacks. As the two struggle, the Omen rocks, causing Devor to lose his balance. Corson force pushes Devor out of the front viewport. Finally, Corson pushes his brother off the edge of the mountain in the ocean. Now, when he returns to camp, Corson tells everyone that Devor fell to his death, but Sela knows he's lying. However, one thing Corson doesn't tell anyone. While he and his brother fought on the mountaintop, he saw a winged reptile fly past them, and on its back was a rider. Skyborn is story number two. It features Adari Val, a Kashiri geologist who's an outcast because she doesn't follow her people's religion or listen to the Neshtavar, the priests that ride the Uvaks, the winged reptiles, and rule society on the continent. Adari believes the land was created mostly from volcanic activity, but Kashiri religion teaches that the land was a gift from the Skyborn, the ancient gods of Kesh that came from outer space. Adari is brought to trial in front of the Neshtavar to defend her findings. Now, while she argues with the high priest, a huge explosion lights up the mountains to the west. The Neshtavar take that as a sign from the gods. Adari is a heretic, and she must be punished. She flees on an Uvac and flies toward the mountain. As she circles, she sees two beings fighting with red lights, one throwing the other over the edge. Later, she finds the Omen survivors and their camp. Adari is brought before their leader, Yeru Corson, the man she saw fighting at the top of the mountain. Corson learns about the Kashiri culture and their beliefs from Adari, and they convince her to introduce the Sith to the rest of her people. The Sith convince the Kashiri that they are the Skyborn, the ancient gods made flesh, using the Force to amaze the natives. Adari is proclaimed daughter of the Skyborn, for discovering the Sith, but she remains uneasy about the strangers. From her time with Corson, Adari knows that these beings may have special powers and abilities, but they are not the Skyborn. Now flash forward 15 years to Paragon, the third story in the series. The Sith now rule on the continent Neshta Minor. Yeru Corson is the Grand Lord and has married Sela, his brother's widow, and has adopted her son. The two also have a daughter of their own, Nida. Now, with Sela's help, Corson promotes a council of high lords to rule the continent. Sela controls the Sith Kresh, documenting and controlling the breeding program. The Sith and the Kashiri are incapable of breeding together, but Sela is concerned about the humans and the pure blood red Sith interbreeding. Something's wrong. All of the offspring of the red Sith die during childbirth. Slowly, their numbers are dying off. The leader of the Red Sith, Ravelin Roth, believes Sela is behind the infant deaths. To separate the two, Corson sends Roth away from the capital city of Tav to Tetsubil in the south. 
Soon, word gets to Corson there's been a catastrophe. A plague has killed nearly 18,000 Kashiri in Tetsubal. Corson and Sila rush to the city and find Roth, who claims he doesn't know what's happened. Sila examines one of the bodies and tells Corson to burn them all. But that doesn't stop the spread, as the Kashiri in the cities around Tetsubal are soon dead as well. But Sila discovers this is not a plague. It's poison and the outbreaks were only in the cities where the Red Sith were working. Enraged, Corson orders the execution of the Red Sith, but Sela wants to question Roth before he dies. Desperate, Roth admits to killing the Kashiri in Tetsubil, but denies poisoning the other villages. Of course you didn't, Sela tells him, because she did, and she pointed the blame at the Red Sith. She tells Roth she also orchestrated the deaths of all the Red Sith infants, ensuring only the humans could reproduce. After confessing, Sela then orders Roth's death, ending the Red Sith on Kesh. Savior is the fourth story, and it takes place about ten years later. To mark the 25th anniversary of the Sith's arrival on Kesh, Corson orders a huge celebration in the capital city of Tav. In addition to the Skyborn, the Kesh celebrate Adari Val, but unbeknownst to them, Adari has led a secret Kashiri underground, vowing to free her people and rid the world of the Sith. It's taken decades, but Adari believes the time to strike is soon. But Corson isn't only in danger from the Kashiri. Sila has hidden her hatred over the death of her first husband, Devor, since that first night that the Sith landed on Kesh. And now that her son, Jariad, has grown and trained, the time is right to get her revenge. Corson's great celebration ends at the mountain temple built over the omen. At its climax, Sela springs her trap. Jariad and a group of Sith sabers surround Corson and a small group of his followers. As Corson's group is slowly wiped out, the Kashiri rebels release the Uvaks, taking away the Sith's ability to travel across the continent. In the midst of the chaos, Corson and Sela's daughter Nida arrives with a group of warriors. Corson has been training Nida in secret for years, as insurance against his wife and stepson. Nida kills her brother and cripples her mother. Now Corson dies from the injuries he sustained in battle, leaving Nida as the new Grand Lord of the Sith. Nida imprisons her mother, unable to walk, in the temple and orders all roads up the mountain sealed. As the battle ends, Adari and the Neshtavar take their thousand Uvaks and fly east over the ocean. Seven hundred of the Uvaks die from exhaustion, but Adari and three hundred others find a small island to land on, finally freeing themselves of the Sith. Flash forward eleven hundred years, and it's purgatory the fifth story in the series. This story follows Ori Katai, daughter of High Lord Kandra Katai. They're sponsoring one of the rake riders in a gladiatorial contest honoring the new Grand Lord, Lilia Venn. But shocking everyone, their rider tries to assassinate Venn during the competition. Kandra is arrested, but Ori flees to their estate, hoping to find something to prove her mother's innocence. However, the new Grand Lord uses the assassination attempt to eliminate her political enemies, executing two other High Lords, and confiscating 
the Katai estate. Ori flees into the countryside with nowhere to go except to the home of Jelf Marion, a human slave and vegetable farmer. Jelf convinces Ori to stay with him until the heat dies down in Tav. For days, Ori helps Jelf with the farm, hating every minute of it. And she hates it when he leaves her alone on his daily trips upriver into the jungle. But that's where the best soil is, he argues. However, on one of his trips, the Sith find Ori alone at the farm. They kill her Uvok and take her lightsaber. They give her a shovel as they leave, the symbol of human slaves. Ori flies into a fit of rage, taking the shovel and destroying the farm. She winds up in the barn where, under a huge manure pile, she discovers something amazing. A starship. Realizing the ship is the way back into society, and possibly the way for the Sith to finally leave Kesh after a millennium, Ori heads back to Tav. As night falls, Jelf returns and finds his ship uncovered. An Auric class Jedi starfighter. As a member of the Jedi Covenant, Jelf has vowed to eliminate the Sith, and now he must stop Ori from revealing his presence, by any means necessary. Story number six is called Sentinel. Jelf Marion is chasing after Ori Katai to keep her from telling the Sith about his Jedi starfighter. Ori sneaks into the city of Tav and finds her mother Kandra shoveling manure at the Tav Zoo. When she tells her mother about the ship, Kandra tells Ori there are only four High Lords remaining that she can trust. Ori tells them about her discovery, but Jelf finds Ori right before she's able to leave the city. When she says the ship will allow the Lost Tribe to return to the Sith Empire, Jelf tells her, there is no more Sith Empire. The Sith lost the wars centuries earlier and were all wiped out. If the Lost Tribe tries to leave Kesh, he says, the Jedi Covenant will destroy them. He convinces Ori to return with him to the farm to hide the ship, but the Sith arrive right before them, led by Grand Lord Ven. The aged Sith climbs into the pilot seat and begins to lift off, shouting that she's about to return the Lost Tribe to the stars. But Jelf has rigged the fighter with explosives to prevent it from being stolen by the Sith. As the ship starts to rise, two of its proton torpedoes explode, destroying the ship and the entire farm. Jelf and Ori avoid the fireball by jumping in the river. With nowhere else to go, the two exiles travel deep into the jungle and disappear. Now the book jumps ahead 900 years to 3000 BBY for the seventh story, called Pantheon. This story follows Varner Hiltz, an old man who's the caretaker of Sith history on Kesh. Since the death of Grand Lord Ven nearly a thousand years ago on what is called the Night of the Upside-Down Meteor, the Sith have devolved into chaos with several factions fighting for power. Ileana Mirko is the leader of one of the factions, the Sisters of Sela, and she wants Hiltz to change the history that he has to announce on the upcoming Testament Day, a celebration established nearly two millennia ago by Nida Corson, who ordered that the caretaker read her father, Yeru Corson's testament, every 25 years on the anniversary of his death. 
Ileana wants Hiltz to make the history more favorable to Corson's wife, Sela, but several rival factions vow to stop her. Hiltz stops the groups from rioting in the capital by saying he couldn't change the history even if he wanted to. As caretaker, he doesn't actually read the history. He simply opens Corson's holocron and the former Grand Lord speaks his testament himself. The recording is the same as it's ever been. But just as it ends, Hiltz discovers that it had been recorded over something else. Now, the hitting recording reveals the Lost Tribe weren't conquerors, but actually slaves to Nagasadao, a hideous red-skinned monster. Horrified, the Sith riot across the continent. But Hiltz is convinced there's more to Corson's message. And to find it, he decides to climb the mountain back to the ancient temple and re-enter the omen. Story number eight is called Secrets, and it picks up right as the previous one ends. It begins as Varner Hiltz enters the temple built above the omen. Hiltz is looking for more information about the original Sith that landed on Kesh in hopes to stop the riots across Keshta Minor. He's followed by Ileana Mirko of the Sisters of Sela, but that's not all. Members of the Corsonites, the Golden Destiny, and Force 57 have also followed him. Together, the group searches the temple and finds Corson's original throne room with a map of Keshta Minor on one wall and another wall covered with blank slates. Using the force, Hiltz removes the slates and the group stares in awe at what he unveils. A map of another continent, much larger than Keshta Minor. Yeru Corson had discovered its existence 2,000 years ago when going over the recordings the omen took when it crash-landed. The younger Sith are confused, but Varner Hiltz understands what the discovery means. A way to reunite the Sith. The final tale of the Lost Tribe is called Pandemonium, and it takes place 25 years later. The story takes place on the continent Alansiar. The Kashiri of Alansiar are more militant than the ones on Keshta Minor, why? Because they've been preparing for an invasion. 2,000 years ago, a small group of Kashiri Uvak flyers, led by Adari Val, landed on Alansir and warned them about the Sith. And that invasion is about to happen. The Sith first send a reconnaissance force of three airships. They don't expect much of a resistance, but the Kashiri surprise them, shooting them down. A few survive, led by High Lord Adele Vray. Vray and the survivors take two hostages, Quara Thane and Jogan Halder. They decide to split up. Adele will take Quara to the Alansir's capital of Sumintri, while the other Sith take Jogan and a Kashiri shore patrol boat and sail back to Keshta Minor. Quara smuggles Adele into Sumintri, but the full Sith invasion begins right as they enter the city. Led by High Lord Bentando, the Sith take control of the Alansir War Cabinet and the Continent's communications network. They learn that Bentando planned to use the Alansiari Kashiri to help eliminate Grand Lord Hiltz when he arrives and establish a new Sith Empire on Alansiar. But Hiltz anticipates Bentando's treachery and has Bentando killed by one of his own servants, 
a Kashiri that Hiltz had planted in Bantando's home 25 years before. When Hiltz and the main Sith contingent finally arrive, they use Jogan to spread their message. The Sith aren't the conquerors that Adari Vol had warned about 2,000 years ago. The Sith are a peaceful people, sent by the gods to protect the Kashiri. Time for a break. I'm Aaron Motes. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Hey everybody, allow me to recommend a book from Star Wars canon, A New Dawn by John Jackson Miller. If you like Star Wars Rebels, you won't want to miss the story of how former Padawan Kanan Jarrus meets Rebel agent Hera Syndulla. Ever since he escaped Order 66, Kanan has wandered the galaxy, keeping his head down and taking odd jobs. But when the Empire kills one of Kanan's friends, he must decide whether to keep running or join Hera and her group to fight back. It's a story of hope, adventure, and a little romance. That's A New Dawn by John Jackson Miller. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and I'm talking about the book Lost Tribe of the Sith, The Collected Stories by John Jackson Miller. This book is fun. You know, it's not a great book. It's fun. And that's all that I need it to be. One of the things I find really interesting about the book is the thought that there is a group of Force users out there that don't really use the Force in the same way that the Jedi and Sith do. I've talked about that previously on the show. Now, are these Sith? They call themselves Sith. I'm not convinced that they are Sith, but that's what they call themselves. They are Force users, and they are Dark Side Force users. In that vein, they are similar to groups like the Night Sisters, which are in both Legends and Canon, or the Falanasi, which are in the Legends stories, the Black Fleet Crisis, of course, they are light side users that don't use the Force in the same way that the Jedi do. But the Lost Tribe are a set of dark side Force users that have been separated from the rest of the galaxy for millennia, and as it turns out, over 5,000 millennia. Now, this book takes place over 2,000 years, but we learn they don't return to the rest of the galaxy until the fate of the Jedi books in 43 ABY with the help of the Sith sphere ship ship. Try saying that five times fast. I'm not going to go into all that because we will get to the fate of the Jedi stories later on. But, They are dark side users who were trained by the ancient Sith. So, in that, I guess you could say they are close to what we think of as Sith. I still like to consider them more dark side force users that use the force in a 
slightly different way than how the Jedi and Sith use them. You know, they've been isolated for all this time. And the original Omen refugees that crash-landed on Kesh, it wasn't like they were great Sith Lords. They were originally slaves that had some Force powers. So everything they've learned after that first generation was basically what they taught themselves. And it's not like those teachings can't change over time. In fact, I believe they probably did. But one of the things I really like about the story is that it's another one of those tales where we discover that the galaxy is bigger than just the Jedi and Sith. You know, to be honest, they don't really go into much of how they actually use the Force. They do talk about how they occasionally levitate objects and how they can communicate telepathically. But that's about it. And it's not like they use that very often. These are very straightforward stories. Now, one of the things that they do have in this book, which they have in a lot of legends, is a different type of crystal to make a lightsaber. In this story, it's lignin crystals, which are made from lignin ore, which is an ore that's attuned to the dark side of the Force, and that's why it can be used to make very powerful dark side lightsabers. And, you know, that's one of the things that I like about Legends is how there are different types of materials that can be used to make lightsabers. One of the few things I am not a fan of in canon, and full disclosure, I like most of canon, and I like the fact that there is a continuity for most of canon. Now, we all know that there are some things in canon that the continuity is uh, a little messed up. But one of the things that I'm not a fan of in canon is how the kyber crystals are talked about and how they're used. I'm not a fan of how the crystals have a living aspect of them. And and the part that I have problems with the most are how dark side force users have to quote unquote bleed the crystals in order to make red lightsabers. And then how those crystals can be quote purified unquote, which creates Ahsoka Tano's white lightsabers. I'm more just a fan that the crystals and the force users call out to one another. If you're a light side force user, crystals that have a leaning toward the light side call out to you. If you're a dark side force user, crystals that have a dark side leaning call out to you. But it is what it is. Anyway, I do like how in Legends there are different types of crystals that are used to build lightsabers. In this story, we have the Lignin crystals. In another story, a crate Dragon Pearl can be used to power a lightsaber. It's just my preference. Now, is there anything about this book 
or any, actually, I guess it's a compilation of stories. Is there anything about this compilation of stories that we could probably see in canon? I would say no, although it is very, I still say it's very easy to take stuff from the ancient past in Legends and make them canon. So far, the only thing we have in canon are references to the Sith War. The only thing we have any detail on are the books in the High Republic series. So anything from 5,000 years ago, beginning with the Great Hyperspace War, or anything before that, you know, Nagasato, Exar Kun, Ulik Keldroma, Nomi Sunrider, any of those characters could be made canon. I, I don't look for this book or this set of stories to be made canon, however. If it is, I don't think it'll end up the same way. You know, I don't think that we'll soon discover this lost tribe of the Sith 43 years after the Battle of Yavin. I think if there is a lost tribe of the Sith made into canon, it more likely to be found prior to when the Bane books take place. So maybe they were lost for 3,000 years, but then eventually they were discovered. I think that would be far more likely and probably make a whole lot more sense than if they were discovered post-Rise of Skywalker. And the second part of the book that could easily be made canon is the alien species of the Kashiri. They are described as humanoid with a faint purplish skin. We already have humanoids with faint bluish skin in the Chiss. I just picture the Kashiri as very similar. That is one thing I think canon does a pretty good job of is talking about the various alien species of the galaxy. And I think it's easy to just introduce more. I mean, we know of tons of planets where life is throughout the galaxy. Why couldn't there be a planet that's not as technologically advanced with a species like the Kashiri? I think that'd be easy. So, I know I'm running long here. Let's wrap it up. On the next episode... We're going to go with a book from many people's favorite Star Wars author, Timothy Zahn. And we're going to talk about Outbound Flight. So if you guys want to read along, you got two weeks till Outbound Flight. Until then, if you'd like to get in contact with me, please email the show at swlegendslounge at gmail.com. Or you can always send me a tweet at Legends Lounge 1. Ask me a question or send a message. I'd love to hear from you. And if you go to the show's Twitter account, you can find the schedule of the upcoming next few books. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. Remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends. <laughs>